0: When I saw in the weather that it was supposed to get cold again this week, I may have cried. I'm not gonna lie, man. It's been awesome being in the 70s, hasn't it? Man, it's been great. I uh, actually went to the lake with my girls last night and hung out for a little while, had a good time, and and so hopefully it'll hopefully Jesus it will return and Amen. All right. Hey, let's uh, let's dive in this morning. Um, we have a couple of things, just a couple of announcements uh number number one uh you may not know, but harvest as parents harvest uh, leads worship uh, every week this morning we had Jonathan Lee leading worship right it was good uh, and Jeff walked out. I think his last name is Dorinsky. Is that how you say it? He was on the keys this morning and I used to lay like this. I love that, right? The whole rocking out, you know, just worshiping. I love that. So, uh, anyway, good times, good times. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Harvest's parents, uh, work with a church up in Indiana and they have a school that they, kind of a passion of theirs called The Roar. As in Roar, right? Kind of a, that's like a really bad line I know, but like a roar I'm not gonna do the real lion roar. I could do an awesome one, but I'm just not going to. But yeah, the whole roar class. And so we have these students can there's five of them. There they are right here, right? The guy the little yeah, we don't know what is that thing in the middle? That's kind of sketchy. Anyway, but the five of them are coming. There's four girls, one guy, obviously. they to be spending, uh, just spending some time with us over the upcoming weeks, uh, investing into our kids, investing into our ministries, being a part of it. And uh, I know there are actually invitations. We're actually looking for some families who would say, hey, we would love to bring them over on a Tuesday or a Thursday night and just feed them dinner and show them how we do hospitality in the South, baby, right? So we invite you to invite them. Them over right, and I love for you to connect with them. They're going to be loving on your kids, loving on your youth, loving on you. Hopefully, uh, you know I'm just excited about them coming. So as they come, they come on, they come on a third this, this Thursday, this Thursday, uh, make sure you see them at church next Sunday. Kind of see them well. They're they pictures in the newsletter also, but just invite them, welcome them, say hello, all that kind of stuff, and be great. Okay. Uh, second thing is this: uh, a lot of you know that uh, when Lori at Mass uh, shifted into uh, the village and into Camp Adventure as her gig here at Vintage. Uh, that that kind of left a void in the area administration. So, you know, several weeks ago we sent out a, just a blurb saying, hey, we're taking applications. Uh, what is that? that? That's my beard. Hold on a second. Let me do that real quick. There we go. Um, but, yeah, I sent out a blurb saying, hey, if you're interested. So we actually got several applications, in. we did an interview process and as of this past week, we officially had Michelle Cerna, who's taking the position, working 24 hours a week She'll be here Monday through Thursday, starting at 8 and working to about 1.30-ish, something like that. So we are very excited about having her. She's not here in the service. She came to 9 o'clock. Oh, Michelle right there. Stand up. I'm sorry. There she is right there. There's Michelle right here. Yes. Yes. Trust me, we are more excited as a staff than you are, right? Because I'm not administrative at all, and so I'm very excited to have her. Let me go ahead and kind of give you some just ground rules with her uh, as it relates to interaction. Up to this point, a lot of your questions as it relates to everything vintage have gone to my wife. Or have gone to Lori. And I'm officially releasing them this morning from that duty and responsibility and now wonderfully putting that responsibility and duty upon Michelle's shoulders. So if you, yes. So if you have questions, that's all right, Scott, my math's like, yes, right? So if there are things that you need, questions that you have, I would ask that you would please go to Michelle with that, right? One of the greatest things that she's said so far, right, just one of the many, many things she's done, but one of the most exciting things that she said the other day was this. We brought something up, and she said, I'll figure that out. Don't worry. And I went, Yes. Right. So she can't answer your questions immediately. She will say, don't worry, I will figure that out and get back to you. Okay. so with that, we're very excited and uh, you can be sure to welcome her, all that kind of stuff. She's a part of vintage has been for the last six months. Is that correct? Almost. Sorry, six months to a year. Right. Almost a year. So we're excited that she's here and you all can get to know her. Even more than you do. Alright, well, let's dive in. If you have not been here, we've been talking for the last couple of uh, months just about, about stepping into this real life that, that Jesus has for us. And, and it's one of those things, we talk about real life, we kind of did this picture like this of saying our real life that Jesus is calling us to is akin to the life of Peter. And we said, just we've been talking that Peter was an average, ordinary, second-shift-working fisherman who didn't have many friends because he worked the second shift, but his family loved him, right? And he had, he had James and John, right? And he worked with, and this is, he kind of just lived this normal, average, ordinary, real life. I mean, Peter was a dude it was just like you, okay? And he lived his life until all of a sudden one day Jesus stepped onto the scene interjected himself into Peter's life, and then four years later we said his shadow was healing people. That's kind of crazy, right? From average ordinary to shadow healing people, but here's the deal. Peter's still just a dude, right? He's still just Peter. But something happened in his life with Jesus interjecting himself into it that Peter went from living this ordinary real life to this extraordinary real life. And we've been talking about this this goal that Jesus has for each of us to move in our lives, to lead us to our own extraordinary real life. May not look like Peter's, our shadow may may not be healing people, but God is calling us to do something. Whether it's small in the world's eyes or something big in the world's eyes, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, He calls you to. If you are if you are obedient to Him, then it's extraordinary in His eyes. We said. And so that we're on this journey then to the extraordinary real life, and we said and we said it's a long, lengthy journey, right? If we take one step in the next year, praise God, if we make it take one step towards it, that's awesome, right? One step towards Jesus is better than zero steps or no steps or steps backwards, right? So we're thankful for any steps. And so we said last week, let's just tell stories, and we did. We had people tell stories about what God was doing. The entire service was about telling God's stories and how he was moving. What we came away with, kind of a nutshell, was, number one, People feel really loved by God, right? Number two, people are really, really struggling in life, but God's with them. And number three, God has really broken through in some people's lives when they were in their difficult moments and they just wanted to give thanks and praise and honor to him. And that's basically the nutshell, right? And that's kind of what it looks like to be an extraordinary life, to live our to live it, to live our life. We have these things that are going on, we have these issues we face, and we had the breakthrough. And we could be in any one of those places. This morning, some of us were like, This is the best day ever. And some people were like, This is the worst day ever, right? And somewhere in the midst of that is the is the journey. Of the extraordinary real life. Right? One of my biggest pet peeves at being at church, honestly, is that everyone has to act like everything's perfect. Right? Now, doesn't that just get on your nerves? Don't you hate it when pastors tell you how great they are in the sermon? Basically, they present themselves in this story as if they're like phenomenal and wonderful and the best thing is to slice bread. Like, I had to wake up this morning and apologize to my wife because I was not nice for like the last 36 hours. True story, babe? 48 hours. There you go, right? You know what I'm saying? And i point in all of that. It's like, and I had to just come to the, floor of the Lord this morning and repent and say, God, I've been a jerk. I haven't been nice to my family. I haven't been nice to my wife, my kids. I mean, it's just been brutal, right? If I've been mean to you, I apologize to you, and I apologize to the Lord already, okay? But there's this whole dynamic going down in the midst of our journey, in the midst of moving towards our real life. I mean, we're all sorts of different places. We have ebbs and flows and ups and downs and all sorts of things like that. And so we said in the midst of this journey of our real life that sometimes, like sometimes I would say this, sometimes we just need, we need an awakening moment. We need like this encouragement to continue on because I don't know about you, but running the race set before me with my eyes on the prize of Jesus, sometimes when I run, I get tired and just want to stop. Like, you know, I've run, like, I don't know, three times in my life, and every time that I've done it, those three times, literally, it's, it's been more than that, like four maybe, but but every time I run, right, I start out and I feel so, I feel awesome, right? I feel awesome, one, because I'm actually just doing it, right? Like, yes, I'm not the lazy bum on the couch right now. This is awesome. And so I make sure, hey, Hey, when I'm running by, like, look at me, look at this guy, right? And so I'm feeling really good about myself, and I'm actually feeling pretty good physically, because it's like it's just good to get the heart pumping, juices flowing, that kind of stuff. But man, like I run like 50 yards, and I start to go, oh, why am I doing this, right? Because what happens? You start running, you're going well, you're running the race set before you, and then all of a sudden, reality of life, reality of how dumb it is to run, kind of sets in on you, and you're thinking to yourself, I'm miserable, right? Why am I such an idiot? Why did I leave my phone at home because I called my wife. She could come pick me up because seriously, I'm dying. It's her story, right? And so anyway, I'm sitting at this whole deal. But the idea of, of the journey is that it's just like this race that we're running. Honestly, then we start their journey. We got super excited. January, whatever, we started here on Sunday. and That's like going towards the real life. And all of you are like, that's the best sermon ever. And I'm like, thanks. And let's do this. Like, yeah, right? And how many of you are still as excited now as you were then? Don't raise your hand. There you go. Thank you. Look at him. Yeah, my, it's my band right there, right? No, seriously. We're like, because you're not going to get tired. You've just maybe gotten distracted. Right? Stuff's just kind of popped up. What you had expected to already happen maybe hasn't necessarily happened, right? Like, I run 50 yards and I expect to be able to do a marathon, right? And so some of us, we've run, some of us, we've run 50 yards with Jesus and we're like, yeah, I'm not where I'm supposed to, where am I? Where am I? Where are you, Jesus? Right? And you're like, oh, I'm not going to ever run again, right? And we get in this whole thing. So this morning, I just want to just kind of name the reality of the journey that we're on. They all of us in different types of places, different types of issues, things that we're facing, things we're struggling with, things that we hate about ourselves and we hate about other people, right? Things that we're frustrated about, things we're angry about, things we're sad about, things we're depressed about. Listen, if you come to church depressed, listen, this is for somebody out here. If you come to church depressed, like I'm not okay with that because I love you, but I'm okay if you come depressed. And don't like try to blow smoke and tell me how awesome you are and this is the best week of your life. Please don't lie, right? When We come into the journey. We're coming honest. We're coming before the Lord because He already knows what's going on. What Doesn't mean now it's not helpful to go to forty-five people, right, and tell them find a couple people say I'm really struggling, whatever it may be. But come and honest before the Lord, honest with yourself, and honest with people. Why? Because the place you the place everyone begins. The place, listen, the place that every relationship begins with Jesus is coming completely naked and honest before him saying, I am worthless, desperate, and am in need of you. And the reality is, in all honesty, that's the desire of Jesus every day for us to come before him. Not beating ourselves up, but going, God, today I have nothing to give. I'm worthless before you, apart from you. And I again need you. And I love you. And that's where we begin. So we every day in the journey, we wake up in this process and this knowledge of who we are, being honest with ourselves and with God and with one another. And so this morning is a word of encouragement as we continue on this journey. Now, I'm not going to be like the second wedding that I ever did. The second wedding I ever did was an outside wedding in Tampa. Tampa St Pete and we were right there on the Intercoastal Waterway it was a beautiful beautiful place right it was one of those like it was like for everyone who's getting married sometime or getting married or thought about getting married outside and you can you had the concern of being outside it was what you wanted it was one of those days blue sky it was 75 ish we were kind of in the shade and the sun so it was like this perfect temperature right in the middle of doing this doing the middle of it and I and I hear something here and like the rivers behind us behind me right and i and i hear something and while they're doing while they're kind of speaking their vows and stuff i'm kind of like glancing like this and i realize there's a bunch of rowers right there's like a women there's like six women in this sculling whatever thing boat it's called a boat right it's easier that way with with oars right and they're doing this right and there's some some loud guy in the front on a megaphone. And I don't know why a guy needs a megaphone when he's sitting no more than six feet away from somebody, but man, he's got this megaphone, and he is berating them, right? I mean, looking, like these girls are like 13, 14 years old, and there's some old man on the front just berating them about how terrible they are. Let's row faster, right? And so we're in the middle of it, and, and, and all of a sudden, in the middle of it, right, he's trying to encourage them, right? And all of a sudden, he turns, he gets right up beside us going this way so so and also he turns and when he's in the front of the boat so when he turns in the front of the boat that megaphone is directed right at us right and all we hear is come on you lazy idiots get this thing going that is what let's stop for a second (laughs) right there's something about that that's not encouraging and so this morning i don't want you to hear me like the guy with the megaphone in the boat screaming at you telling you how bad and fat and how ugly you are I want you to hear the voice of encouragement this morning of saying you're on a journey, and you're going to want to stop, and you're going to want to slow down. You're going to want to just kind of just get lazy and laid back and do nothing. You're going to want to do that, but I'm encouraging you today, don't. Don't. Because the last thing we want to have is a wasted life. You see, one of the things you may not know in the New Testament we have—they the, use the word hell a lot, right? Jesus talks about it; it's a real place, all this kind of jazz, but. But um, but one of the things we, we, we automatically have in our mind is a picture of what that means, right? Like growing up, I always remember the scripture. There's a worm always eating at it me. It's in scripture, right? It's really hot, so it smells like sulfur. There's some guy with little red horns running around poking me with his sword, right? Or his little whatever that thing is, pitchfork, right? And that's like that's a picture I had of what hell is. So when I was like, when I was not 10, nine or ten, I got saved 45 times in one year, right? And, um... So happens you grow up at Southern Baptist, man. It's like you get saved a lot. It's like I'm like really saved, I'm like oversaved, right? And so so I just kind of experienced that reality in my life. It was great, good times, okay? Not really. But anyway, it's kind of scary thinking about it. But uh, but the idea was that I had this picture of hell. But do you know that when Jesus used the word hell in the New Testament, the word hell was what they called their trash dump. Like that's what it was. Well, like hell was the word they used for the dump. Like, you know, and you can think about it back in the day. I mean, think about how gross and nasty a dump is today. Think about back then. There was no sanity. There was like, there's like no sanitary stuff. There's no garbage trucks coming by. I mean, it was just a gross and nasty, rotting type place. And so Jesus is always talking about hell and the pictures of this place that could go, but it's also a physical reference on earth. And so when he says to this idea of of hell, and we use the phrase hell on earth. They completely understood that. Because you know what a dump is? A dump is a place of of waste. It's a place of nothingness. It's a place of trash. It's a place you you want to avoid because there's nothing of value in it. And so when we talk this morning then about, about not, like, not you know, like hell on earth. Hell on earth for us is living in a place of waste. In which we are wasting our time, wasting our resources, and wasting our life on things that don't satisfy, gratify, or ultimately fulfill the deepest needs of our hearts. And so when we live then for things other than Jesus, then what we're doing is we're wasting our life. It's a hell on earth. And so I say that to you not to beat you down, but to encourage you to say, because not what you were designed for. Right. It's like I just my, I just, uh, you know, I've got this boat that I'm, I have, my dad and I bought together for the purpose of reselling. It's like this boat has a 250 horsepower Yamaha on the back. Right. I've got it sitting out back because I don't want to leave it anywhere. I not anywhere to store it yet, it's 20 foot Ranger, beautiful boat. Right. Loving it. We're going to sell it together and make some money. It's how I make money on the side. Right. Now, if I go out on this boat and I hit the throttle, and I put it in idle. And my, my kids, we went out yesterday, and the kids were like, go fast, go fast, I'm like, no, no, it's as fast as it goes. And I'm doing two miles per hour, right? Like I'm completely wasting the power and the energy of two hundred and fifty horses that'll get them push this boat about seventy three to seventy five miles per hour. But no, I'm just like putting along, right? Wasting the power that's there. And what I'm going to get at this morning is basically you are all at least 250 horsepower Yamahas. Can I get an amen from the fishermen? Seriously. And that's the movement we're moving towards in the context of our real life. So last week we looked at, at the very end. I named for you Romans chapter 12 verse, verses 1 and 2. Very familiar read it to you again says, therefore, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't want you to lose sight of the first verses. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, just leave it up there for a little bit, Hayden. In view of God's mercy, we said last week, chapter 1 through the end of chapter 11 is all an expression of God's mercy through Jesus to believers, Chapter 1 through 11 is an expression of Jesus' love for us, of his movement in our lives, the, the fighting that he does for us, the way that he loves us and encourages us. He says, oh, and Paul says, what a rich man I am who will save me from this life of sin. Thanks be to God, Jesus will. I mean, it's this beautiful picture of the work of Jesus. And so he comes, he says, now, now. Everybody says, guy, stop, stop. Let's look back real quick. Let's view God's mercy. Do you see it? We've just talked about it. We've just expressed his mercy, his mercy and how good it is now. In view of that, give him everything. You see, mercy, mercy is defined as the compassionate disposition to forgive someone or to offer aid, assistance or help to someone in need. Right? Mercy. This in view of God's mercy, right? In view of it's God's mercy. What's his mercy? It's his compassionate disposition to forgive us, to offer aid and assistance to every single one of us. Because every day we live in desperate need. So in view of what he's done, in view of what he's doing... Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, right? I don't want you to miss the urging of Paul this morning. He names the work of Jesus in chapter 1 through 11, and he says, now, I urge you to respond. I urge you to respond. Scripture is very clear. We can never earn God's love. We can never earn our salvation by any of the works that we do. But Scripture, listen, Scripture is very clear that we are going, if we're going to follow Jesus, it does require action on our part. That if we're going to follow Him, it requires an action on our part. We see Paul urging them, in view of what God's done now, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's an action part two. We see Jesus, very, very simple verse in Matthew sixteen, twenty four. You probably heard it before. Jesus speaking to his disciples and says this Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Action number one. Action number two, take up your cross. Action number three, right? And follow me. So I want you to just to recognize this morning, and again, I want you to recognize that in the journey that we're on of discipleship, we can't earn salvation, right? We can't earn his love. We can't earn anything from him. But the response for those who are legitimate disciples, followers of Jesus, that our life will be an expression of action in pursuit of him. How I many of you can't have a relationship, if any form or fashion, without some level of pursuit of going after the person that you're in a relationship with, whether it's your spouse or it's a friend? Listen, you can't have a friendship with somebody unless you're calling one another and talking. You can't, it's not a real friendship. Real friendship is based on communication, interaction, doing stuff together, hopefully going fishing together. would be fantastic, right? So you have some level of action. And so Paul's urging this. Jesus is making it very, very clear here. So in the line of becoming a disciple, one thing is of Jesus, one thing is clear. Jesus' actions on behalf of his people always deserve a response. Jesus' action deserves a response. Not trying to prove anything, not trying to earn anything, but His pursuit of us, right? We love as an action. Why? Because he first loved us. There's always a movement of Jesus that requires a response. Go make disciples. It's a proactive action. And so we see this nature, right? But the problem for us in the nature of in this midst of living, of giving our lives as a living sacrifice, the problem we face in the in the context of taking up our cross, right, of, of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him is this denial of this, this picture of being a servant, serving Jesus, being obedient to him, right, denying our desires, denying self, but but still living in, in, in that producing joy. Because I don't know about you, but I recognize the culture that we live in. Being one in which people are always demanding happiness. They're always demanding contentment. They're always demanding something that they want. But the picture that that Jesus is creating here right is the it goes it's a it's it's counterintuitive to our culture he's saying he's saying deny yourself take up your cross follow me right don't conform to the pattern of our culture right i want you don't don't live for yourself but deny yourself take up your cross right there's a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god i mean we understand this. It's this counterintuitive. Think about it. if I come, if I came to you and say, "Listen, guys, I want to take away your car, your house, your friends, your TV, your books, your hobbies, all those types of things, because it's going to bring the greatest joy to you in your life." You would think I'm crazy. You go, "What? Whatever," and you turn around and walk off because you recognize that in your life, the things that you have. They produce a level of joy and there's nothing wrong with that. God has given those things to us for the purpose of enjoyment. But, you know, the problem with our culture is that we begin to put all of our joy and contentment and satisfaction in the things and the stuff this world offers conforming to the pattern of this world. And so Paul is coming and saying, and Jesus is coming and saying, listen, if you want to live your real life, if you want to live in the fullness that I have for you, I'm going to tell you the greatest fruit of the Holy Spirit of love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. They're all going to be found, my friends, in denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me, not conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by renewing of your mind every day, right? Offering yourself to me as a living sacrifice. And you say, I'm not sure I can run that part of the race. Because I live in that same tension. Because when I begin to walk with Jesus, I love what I get from him, but it's difficult when he requires things of me. Right? Like, I love getting something from someone, but when they require something from me, there's more tension. You know what I'm getting at? It's real practically speaking. And so we find this is true, right? Right? That 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 we long for happiness, contentment, and joy, right? And when we long for that, but the great problem is this: we lose sight of God's mercy, we lose sight of God's power, we lose sight of God's love, and we begin placing our trust, our happiness, our joy, our fulfillment on these things that were never designed to ultimately satisfy us. Ultimate satisfaction. Is only found in Jesus. I'll never forget when I was in my late 20s, I was still single, waiting, trying to, trying to find a wife. I called, I told you before, I said, God, I'm living the plight of singleness, or I just want to be married, right? And I would live in this place, live in this tension, and, and, and I would live there. And I, was a, I was a great Christian. I was a great Christian. Now, I remember sitting there going, Jesus, I know you're supposed to be enough. Right? I know you're supposed to be enough. I used to say that all the time. God, I repent. I know you're supposed to be enough. But I, but you said it's not good for man to be alone. I want to be naked and unashamed, God, with my wife, right? That's the Bible. So go to Genesis 2, right? Go there. We live in the tension. We live in this tension. Running the race, God being enough, satisfying, gratifying the deepest longings of our heart. It's hard to live the life that we're called to live. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard in our actions to continue moving towards him. It's hard because we want to stop. We want to call somebody, come save me, come help me, just want to relax. I just want to lay down for a little bit, okay? Just give me a break, God. We live in the tension of our own lives. We live in this tension of, of running the race set before us. We see it in Hebrews 11, right? This We see the great hall of faith. And the great thing is they're saying, listen, if they could do it, then we can do it. To the word of encouragement, who the writer of Hebrews was, we don't know. But he's saying, here's the deal, read this. Read the stories of the Old Testament, because they're encouragement to you. Because if the prostitute Rahab is in the hole of faith and now living with Jesus, then by God, so can you. Run the race set before you. Be obedient. This is the word of encouragement this morning. I'm holding the megaphone of love, right, of encouragement. You can do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it going to be hard? I promise it will be. Will you want to stop and quit? I promise you will want to. By God. He's going to be with you, though. We see this story kind of played out in John chapter 6. We're going to read the lengthy part of Scripture here. So follow along with in your Bibles. You can turn there. If you don't, you can follow on the screen. Verse 53, John 6. This is a stall mechanism to give you time to get there. Jesus speaking to his disciples. So actually, Jesus, let me just give you kind of a picture. Jesus is speaking to between four and five thousand men, probably families of fifteen thousand. Okay? I don't know how his voice projected. That's one of the questions I want to ask with the heaven, but they heard him, okay? Jesus said to them, verse fifty three, Very truly I tell you. Now remember, he's speaking to thousands. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Ray goes, What? So just to make sure they understood the point, he goes on. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And they're like, what did he just really say that? So he brings it home a little more. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever again eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Listen. These people don't eat meat, let alone human flesh, okay? Get the freak-out mentality happening in their own hearts and minds. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. Whoever feeds on me, this bread, will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, a.k.a. this man's crazy, is what they were saying, okay? Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then, then, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Verse 63 The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66 From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him and jesus says you do not want to leave too do you jesus asked the 12 simon peter answered lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have come to believe and to know that you are the holy one of god now obviously a lot can be said here is like Eons of things you could speak about, and I want you to recognize here: Jesus is not encouraging cannibalism. All right, this is, my friends, is, an, is a it's a metaphor of teaching called a figure of speech, right? A metaphor to help you understand something. All right, and so Jesus is speaking in this metaphorical language, trying to make a point. And he comes in, and, we, and he knows the the words that he's speaking. They are he's talking spiritually in nature. We see it in verse sixty-three. Right, the words I've spoken to you—they are full of the Spirit. That's what he's coming at, he's making this point, right? That that unless we eat of Jesus, as we spiritually partake of him, as we every day look to him for our sustenance, every day cry out, God, I need more of you today. Unless every day we say, God, I am broken in need. I need you. Come and meet my needs. Come and fill me today. Unless every day we, we are coming before him and eating on him. saying The idea of every day he's the bread. Every day he's the manna. It's not a physical manna. It's a spiritual manna that we can eat of him, eat of knowing him, eat of reading about him, pray to him, And know him. And so the problem is this in the context of their journey, listen to this, in the context of their journey, the thousands, the thousands who were coming, do you know why they're there? Because they expected Jesus to feed them physical food again. The four and 5,000 and feeding. He's already done it. He's already done the miracles, both of them, in case you were wondering. He's already fed them twice. He's done the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, and they're all following him. Why? Because they're all living in poverty. They all don't, most of them don't have food. So they're following Jesus for one reason, for what they can get from him. You can't miss that. The only reason they follow Jesus was so what they could get from him. And so because Jesus is not he wasn't looking for a mega church at the time, he had four or five thousand, he said, Well, it's time to it's kind of cut loose those who aren't really following me, who aren't really committed. So he tells them four times, Good Jews, hey, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all freak out. They all turn away and they all leave, except for the twelve and maybe a few others we don't really know, doesn't really say. And what I I take from that is, I'm running the race. I'm getting lots of great stuff from Jesus. He's making me feel better about myself. Pots of people are getting healed, and we're telling crazy stories of of demons being cast out. We're telling crazy charismatic stories of legs growing and eyes being opened, right? We're seeing crazy things happen. Look at the masses. This is probably the Messiah. Oh, my gosh, this is so much fun. This is so great. And Jesus comes and says, hey, by the way, if you're going to follow me, You have to go against everything that you believe about meat and about blood. You have to eat it and drink it. And they immediately, without questioning him, figuring out what he meant, they turn and they leave. And the disciples come back and they have a conversation. In the midst of this time, in the context of their relationship, he talks about Him being the bread of life. He brings understanding. Why? Because later on, he institutes the Lord's Supper. My friend, this is just a precursor to the Lord's Supper. It's a foreshadowing of what's coming. This is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This is my blood poured out in the wine. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of my love, my compassion, and my mercy on you. You see how so often, when Jesus does something or allows something allows either does something or allows something to happen in our life that offends us, we immediately turn and we run off because we stopped getting from Him what we thought that He was supposed to give us. But we have whole theologies in church today saying God's primary purpose in life is to make you happy. What? Find that in Scripture. You can't. God's desire is to make you holy. God's desire is to move you towards his Christ-likeness. His desire is to do whatever he can to bring you to a place of brokenness so you need him. And so Jesus comes, right, speaks to them, and, and he, he sharpens the edge of his teaching, and the crowd gets too large. And he's looking for a people who will be followers of him and take him seriously enough to pursue him. Say, okay, that was hard, but I love you. Whether you slay me, though you slay me, Job's word, though you slay me, still I will follow. Though I go through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He didn't say, though you keep me from the shadow of death and never allow it to come face to face. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death with it right in my face of complete misery and difficulty and hardship, I will still follow. This is an encouraging word, believe it or not. Because there's not just one megaphone in your life screaming at you. I have lots of megaphones. And sometimes they're calling me to do things I know I shouldn't do and telling me I am terrible and that I'm awful and that I'm nothing and that I'm worthless. And by God, I want to make sure I'm hearing the voice of encouragement saying it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but in view of, but take a view of his mercy, his compassionate disposition, always moving in your life. See, isn't the great tragedy of our life that we actually forget that the cross and the resurrection happened? The call here is to make Jesus our primary sustenance, the source of true joy. And when that happens, it's difficult and hard to swallow, isn't it? Because he's saying all these things will never satisfy. Things you long for never satisfy. I satisfy. You can eat of me every day in the context of your journey. And as you do, it's going to lead you to your real life, but it requires action on your part. I'm not going to force feed you. You're not a child, not a baby. You have to begin to walk, get to begin to run the race set before you. There's actions that are required not to earn or to prove anything, but it's an outgrowth of our relationship with him. Thomas Aquinas said this, and I want to read this entire quote to you. It's fairly long. Thomas Aquinas said this, there will always be many who love Christ's heavenly kingdom, but few who will bear his cross. Jesus has many who desire consoling difficult moments, but few, who, but few who care for adversity. He finds many to share his table, but few who will join him in fasting. Many are eager to be happy with him. Few wish to suffer anything for him. Many will follow him as far as the breaking of bread But few will remain to drink from his passion, his death and resurrection. Many are awed by his miracles. Few accept the shame of his cross. Many love Christ as long as they encounter no hardship. Many praise and bless him as long as they receive some comfort from him. But if Jesus hides himself and leaves them for a while, Jesus feeling distant happens in our lives. They either start complaining or become dejected. Those, on the contrary, who love him for his own sake and not for any comfort of their own, praise him both in trial and in anguish of heart, as well as in the the bliss of consolation. What power there is in a pure love for Jesus, the love that is free from all self-interest and all self-love. Let me tell you something and hear this. All of us ask Jesus all the time, Jesus, show your love for me. I want to know your love for me. There's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is since the cross happened, since he died for us, he never once ever again has to prove his love for us because he already has. In view of God's past mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices not because he proved himself and promises to prove himself to you tomorrow. You see that? The cross is the reality of his mercy expressed. He died because he loved us, because he wanted us near to him. He sacrificed everything for us. His cross is enough. He never, ever has to prove himself to you ever again. And we have, I would encourage us to say we need to live to that into that reality. Now, because Jesus is a loving and relational God, He will reveal His love to us again and again and again. But not because you've deserved it, but because He wants to. It's a privilege that we receive from Him, not something we've earned. Or deserve or can make him do for us. We follow him in obedience even to the point of sacrifice and running the race before us. Not because he's done something today or tomorrow but because of what he did in view of his mercy. Why do you think we celebrate Easter? Because we want to remember the powerful work of Jesus on his cross And the powerful work of Jesus in his resurrection. This is the nature of what it means to be on this journey to our real life. We live in this place of what he's done in view of his mercy. It propels us to action. I promise you difficulty will arise and lots of voices will be screaming at you to stop. But there'll be other voices, Jesus, the voices of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, screaming and saying, it's such a great cloud of witnesses. If they can do it, you can do it. Run the race up before you. Don't give up. As you, it says, Scripture, scripture says, awake, O sleeper. And as you wake up to move towards him, it says Christ will shine on you. As we begin the journey of taking steps towards him, not to earn anything or to prove anything, but just an expression of our love for him, then he comes alongside and he empowers our movement. And so for each of us, we step into this life. This is me at the bullhorn this morning encouraging you. I'm encouraging you by being honest, allowing you to be honest, but to expect to move forward. See, when Jesus got in the face of Peter right there in the story of the, of the, of the fish and the net, remember what Peter did? He fell on his face weeping and said, away from me, I am not worthy of you. And Jesus said, now I know that you are capable of allowing the real life of my spirit to flow through you because you were naked before me. You have nothing to offer. Now I can feel you. Uh, you've crawled up on the altar and said, I am your sacrifice. Do as you will with me. See, this is kind of the changing of gears as we're running. That's that moment of honesty with ourselves? Am I choosing action? Am I going to respond to his mercy and his faithfulness and his compassion? One of the things that we want to do in the season of our journey is we want to help you uh, by embracing the historical season of Lent. How many of you have ever celebrated Lent before in your life? How many of you have ever heard of Lent? All right. Now, if you are a good evangelical Protestant, you may not have heard of it, but Catholic tradition, man, all the way back to 325 A.D. is a, it's a 325 A.D. All the way back, the Council of Nicaea. Council of Nicaea was pretty important for those of you who don't know. It was when we said yes as a church, the Trinity is what we believe. Right? This is yes. We're 100% God equals God, Holy Spirit, Father, Son. Right? So right after that, they said, "All right, one of the things that we want to do to we want to have a, a season of preparation." season of preparation for those who are getting baptized, right? For, that, for these new converts, those who are following Jesus, have a season of preparation. And it's going to be in springtime. And that's what Lent means. Lent means springtime. And the idea was pretty simple. In this season of Lent, the season of spring, spring, what is spring? Spring is when life births. From the darkness and death of winter, right? So here's a season of preparation. We're living this place over here. We're preparing ourselves for resurrection. We're preparing ourselves for spring and to step into the fullness of life. And so the church began to embrace It's a 40-day thing leading from Ash Wednesday to the night before Easter. It was a season of preparation, a season of action, a season where the people of the church, right, there's a few things they would do. They would they would progressively fast. They would pray. They would search out for sin in their life and repent or turn away from it, ask for forgiveness, and then they would find the poor living around them and give to the poor. There was this contentional pursuit of recognizing, here is the shadow of death defined by the winter of my own life, and I'm now preparing myself in the season of Lent to take steps towards Jesus, right, in view of his mercy and allow him to bring new life in Easter, in Springtime and preparing myself For that so when easter comes We launch ourselves into the Reality of resurrection Resurrection My friends resurrection life Is the same thing as a real life That's all it is real life Equals resurrection life Look at the life of the disciples Post resurrection Post coming of the holy spirit That defines the real life Crazy things happened I want all of them for you. I want to step into the real life. And so what we're saying in the season of Lent, that's why we're doing DNA groups, guys, because I don't know about you, but when I run with someone, I usually run better. I usually run better. One time I had to run with these two girls, right? They came over, and we were watching our girls, and they're babysitting, ran like at home. They said, hey, we're going to run through your neighborhood because it's really flat. Do you mind if we run here? This is in Orlando. And I said, they said, yeah, and they said, they said, you should run with us. And Randall goes, yeah, you should, Steve, right? That was her nice way of saying you're out of shape. And so I said, sure, I'll run with you. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've not run in four years. I said, how far are you going? Like about a half mile. They were going three miles. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jesus. So, of course, in my pure maleness, I said, yeah, and I'll beat all of you, both of you, Right. And so I'm out there running this race set before me. And I'm like, I'm like the whole time I'm like, don't breathe hard. Don't breathe hard. Like, that's not a hard. And you're like, about two miles in like, me, you're doing great. And like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that, right? It's easier to run with people. So we've created DNA groups. We've created DNA groups. All those DNA groups are intentional people, two or three other people who are running the race set before you so that you can grow and be discipled into Christ's likeness be nurtured in your talents and in your gifts, and to hold you accountable to run the race set before you. Is, do you have to do it? No. But, man, it's an opportunity to get people to run the race set before you with you because it's just easier to run with people. Listen. It's hard to run by yourself and to stay true to the course. It's hard to be a lone ranger. It really is. It's hard to be a lone ranger. So in this, we want to encourage you, sign up today. Sign up today. Get signed up. It's real simple. Like I said last week, it's just like going on a date. Hey, you want to be part of my group with me? And they can say yes or no, all right? They can say yes or no, and they say yes, great. If they say No. There's plenty of more fish in the sea, all right? So seriously, you can go sign up. You can get connected. We'll help you in the ideas every week. In the season of Lent, we're going to hand you something. It's a tool, something that Scott's going to create. It's going to be a tool for you to help your group go deep, to ask right questions, and to run the race during the season of Lent. And the season of Lent, there'll be things you have to give up. I would encourage all of you, if, you've, if, you, if you fast, if it's something that's something, a, a, a discipline that you're used to, I encourage you to fast. If something that's new to you, then ask us. We'd love to tell you about, about fasting. It's a great thing to do to help you in your relationship with Jesus. But we want to begin to encourage you in your race set before you. So let's pray this morning. Invite the ministry team and worship team to come forward. Just close your eyes, bow your heads before the Lord, take a deep breath, don't fall asleep on me. We want to respond this morning or just or more more better than better than that, we want to let God just have his way with us in this time. We want to kind of just lay before him the proper. stance before God and I said this before it's written by Henry now in his book in the name of Jesus and he said I believe that tomorrow's leader effective leader for tomorrow will be those who stand before God naked saying I have nothing but you as we come into this time before the Lord that's what I'm asking us to, to do if you're able to, to, to stay is just stand before the Lord again metaphorically speaking here guys to stand before the lord with nothing to offer him but yourself where you are